So I started going to the gym. A year into going to the gym, I was like, I can level this up. I can start to like cut out sugar and eat different. It wasn't even to change my body, but it was to change my life. It was to see what I could do. Anyways, that all backfired. You know, I cut out all these things. I did all that stuff and the restriction got the best of me over time. And that was when I decided, why is this so hard for me and so easy for other people? And I need to figure that out. I did not understand at all where the restriction and the binging was coming from. Why, like I knew why I wasn't eating what everyone else in my family was eating, but I didn't understand why I would overeat when I did eat it and why they wouldn't. So it was really difficult. That's why I studied health psychology. And then yes, then I went to study nutrition and pair those two together. Eyes wide open, mind racing with existential questions and every mildly embarrassing thing you've done in your life. Oh, fellow overthinker, I understand. But don't worry, I'm here to talk to you about it. I'll indulge the overthinking. I know there's some existential questions about science and health that are keeping you awake at night. But they don't have to be. I, Mim, student nutritionist and medical writer, will be coming on here every Monday to talk to experts like Dr. Giles Yo, Dr. Raghav Sharma and Lena Abed to answer those big questions that you and I have. And that will be season four, The Big Questions. Now let's get on to this episode. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Growth Medium podcast. This week, we're joined by the lovely Lena Abed to talk about her philosophy behind diet and lifestyle. Thank you so much, Lena, for coming on. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. No worries. I'm excited to have you too. To get us started, could you tell us a little bit about your story? You know, who is Lena and what led you to starting the Practical Nutritionist? Sure. So I am a Arab American nutritionist. It's kind of, that's my identity kind of in a nutshell, right? I'm a mom. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. Um, oh my God, I totally lied. I'm not a mom. I was going to say, <laughs> I feel like I missed an Instagram post there. I'm not even close to being one. Um, I'm an aunt though to six mm. sweet nephews. I'm a sister and I'm a daughter, not a mother. Mm. That's so weird. But anyways, I'm just thinking of myself as an aunt, I guess, in that is what there's Mm -hmm. a lot of moms in my family okay but (laughs) so that's really who I am health and nutrition came into the scene maybe five years ago but it's not who I was at my core growing up food was always a really big part of my life that's who I am at my core nutrition health that's new now it's becoming a core value but I think it really stemmed from food which is why and we'll get into this eventually but that's why we talk a lot about a practical balance and practical nutrition um, it has a lot to do with food and family being at my core first and then food, nutrition coming into it yeah I love that philosophy so much because you know I'm sure you're aware of the different extremes that are you know available I say available you know there's it's on the internet it's on social media it's in magazines when we were growing up but you know you mentioned that nutrition came into the picture about five years ago what led you to pursuing I think you went to school for nutrition what led you to wanting to go and do that when I first started school I went in for business marketing and it was really just truly because I had no other passion I had no and no idea what I wanted to do and it was about two years in that I decided I had really gotten into working out. I had really gotten into that field and I decided, well, and gone through my own struggles, right? With food for a hot second there for my first two years of college. And then I decided I needed to understand 
how some people were, quote, naturally healthy, why some weren't, and why some changed really, really fast if they weren't, and why some didn't, right? So I went on to study health psychology. So when I was at school, I picked that up and I double majored in marketing and health psychology because I really wanted to understand the why behind why people did or did not have certain habits and behaviors around movement and food. I wanted to know why it was much harder for me than it was for other people and why it became hard for me because it wasn't my whole life growing up. You know, obviously, like as kids, we're as young girls, we're, our bodies are looked at a lot, especially in like any type of more foreign household or, oh, wow, you're so skinny or, oh, wow, you gained weight or do you really want that second serving or whatever? So I was very well aware of that, all of that growing up. And I definitely went through my moments where I gained and lost and gained and lost growing up. But I think that's normal, all kids into teenage years and understanding throughout those four years of high school, like where your body's happy and where you're content with it being as well. And not necessarily everybody else, but where you're content with it being. But it was after where I really started working out, not to change my body, but just to do something. And when I went to college, I didn't have a ton of friends. It was the first time in my life that I was out of my comfort zone. Growing up, I went to the same kind of few schools in the same district. So everybody knew each other. So college was the first time that I didn't know everybody. And I just started going to the gym because I was like, I don't know how to make friends. I haven't had to make friends for a long time. They've just been there, you know? So I started going to the gym. A year into going to the gym, I was like, I can level this up. I can start to like cut out sugar and eat different. It wasn't even to change my body, but it was to change my life. It was to see what I could do. Anyways, that all backfired. You know, I cut out all these things. I did all that stuff and the restriction got the best of me over time. And that was when I decided, why is it so hard for me and so easy for other people? And I need to figure that out. I did not understand at all where the restriction and the binging was coming from. Why, like I knew why I wasn't eating what everyone else in my family was eating, but I didn't understand why I would overeat when I did eat it and why they wouldn't. So it was really difficult. That's why I studied health psychology. And then yes, then I went to study nutrition and pair those two together. That's so interesting. I feel like a lot of us who are interested in nutrition kind of had the same story of, you know, when we were younger, our bodies were really scrutinized. I was really interested in nutrition kind of recreationally, like I didn't study or anything like that. And then I got to similar thing. I got to university and in my first year, I got really into my health things. You know, I was going to the gym. I was cutting out sugar. I think there was one point where I was like full keto and oh, we don't talk about that time that often, but <laughs> you know. I hate talking about it. <laughs> but I, honestly, it was so restrictive. And then I realized it backfired as well. You know, like the listeners of the podcast will know I'm interested in nutrition. And by the time this episode goes up, I'm hopefully going to be going back to school for nutrition as well. So similar stories, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a little too common. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, because I mean, I've spoken to other, um, you know, like dietitians and nutritionists as well. And they all pretty much have a similar story on the flip side I mean there's some people who get into nutrition because they really love food which is you know such a lovely way to go in right I agree yeah and I, I would think that there there is an element there was an element of that when I first got into like building healthier recipes I was so because mm-hmm. I loved baking beforehand so after it was like oh my gosh this is so cool how can I make the same things with less sugar or with dates or with, you know what I mean? Instead of the white sugar, it started out as just like a very creative, fun process. But of course, like you said, the restriction gets the best of you and we don't talk about that, (laughs) except I talk about it every day for work. (laughs) But 
I think that leads into your approach nutrition, right? Which is quite balanced, quite, you know, you call it practical nutrition. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we have, I feel like we have really two extremes with nutrition when it comes to online. We have the really strict, really like counting every macro, every calorie. But then we have the other side, which can appear to downplay or reject the impact that diet and lifestyle can have on your health. But yeah, you take a look at the practicalities and the practical side of it. So if you could just explain what is practical nutrition and balance and what does it really mean to you? Well, it came about for the exact reason that you just said, right? You're either counting macros and calories and working out to be extremely lean and fit, or you're rejecting all weight loss, all goals. It was one or the other, complete food freedom with no goals at all, or at least at the time, now there is a very balanced middle ground, but at the time there wasn't, right? So that was exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be that middle ground voice. And the reason practical nutritionist nutrition to me is taking our knowledge of food and nutrition and mixing it with the reality of our lives, okay? If we focus just on our knowledge of food, just on strictly what it is, of course we wouldn't eat sugar. Of course we wouldn't eat donuts right? There's no one in the world saying that that is biologically good for you. I would never argue that. Never. Because it's not, right? We've seen the effects that it has on our brain. We've seen the effect that it has on our body. But my practical part of life, I'm a human. I have, and I'm grateful to have family and friends around me. And not only do I have that, but I'm a foodie. Even if I was alone, I would want the freaking donut, you know? So there's this, yeah, of course, if I focus on science alone, of course I wouldn't eat it, right? And if I focus on my social and environmental factors alone, I could eat it all. I mean, there's a McDonald's on every corner. There's a Starbucks on every corner. There's donuts every single time I walk past the grocery store. There's boxes and boxes of cereal. If I focus on one or the other alone, I'm already hitting an extreme either way, but I need to focus on them together. So how do I Knowledge is power. So how do I use that knowledge with knowing that I am going to also eat the things in my environment? Because I can, truly, right? Because I can, and I want to. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, if we look at the extreme where you're counting macros and you're really sciencey about this stuff, it's in some ways neglecting, I think, the emotional and social side of things. Whereas when you're looking at the, you know, the other extreme where you're not thinking about nutrition at all then it's neglecting the health like the physical health side of things so it's finding I guess that balance between the both right because you need to take care of of course your physical health but at the same time you need to socialize or you need to think about what's gonna you know sometimes you just need something that satisfies you and that one thing will be a piece of a donut you know yeah and I don't want us to ever feel like we can't have one without the other or that choosing one over the other means that we're not challenging ourselves or hitting a goal because while everything in the world is not about weight loss, right? And if that's no one's goal, I honestly couldn't care less. It doesn't need to be. You can want to build healthier habits without caring if you lose a pound or not, right? It's not always about that. But if someone has that goal and someone wants that, someone wants to challenge themselves to eat more vegetables, they have that right. They have that right. And that's not a bad thing. Not every goal that puts some sort of challenge on us is a bad thing. And people are going to want that anyways. They're going to desire change and challenges and to eat healthier or to build a healthy habit or to aesthetically have a goal, they're going to have that anyways. Why don't we have a voice of reason to help them do it in a healthy, practical, real life kind of way, right? Instead of 
only giving them one choice and that's to, let's say someone doesn't want to diet. Well, their only choice is to go listen to the people who are on that extreme. Let's say someone once has aesthetic goals. Well, their only choice is to go do it in an extreme count at your macros every single day, regardless of where you are and on vacation kind of way. That's not fair. I think we should be able to acknowledge both. Yeah. And I think we touched on it a little bit, but why do you think this, you know, practical approach to nutrition and balanced approach is so important? Without it, nothing is normal, right? So you will always be thinking about food Mm -hmm. or always be uncomfortable if you're not, if you don't find a balanced approach. So finding a balanced approach is really, I think, just erasing It's undoing the damage that diet culture has done over the years. That's all it is. It's probably the way that we would act if we were never given a diet in our lives. We would just eat breakfast. We would throw some color in there because we should. We would just eat lunch. It probably wouldn't be McDonald's. And we would just eat dinner. And we would probably have dessert. You know, and we probably wouldn't overeat because diet culture didn't put us in this space where we felt like we had to. It wouldn't have put us in this place where we feel inaccessibility to food. Like we're never going to get it again because we're not supposed to eat it. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like we're just undoing the damage and becoming normal again. That's actually such a, I think, powerful point to raise because I feel like especially um, I'm going to talk from a UK perspective because obviously that's what I know. But we have a very, um, it can be unbalanced culture. You know, we demonize a lot of foods. Yeah, we demonize a lot of foods, you know, and it's something different every decade. You know, one decade it's fats, one decade, decade it's salt, one decade it's now it's carbs. And we're right there with you, by the way. <laughs> I feel, you know, I feel like the USA and UK can be quite similar in, in that respect. We are. But then I look at some of, you know, the European counterparts, right? And I'm not saying that European countries have a perfect diet, a lot of them don't, or a perfect relationship with food for that matter. But their approach is a lot more balanced. It's a lot more what you're saying, normal. You know, they have not necessarily whatever they want, but they're able to have that balance of healthier foods versus unhealthier foods. And they feel, you know, the physical benefits of it but also the emotional satisfaction which I feel like going towards that way is definitely more beneficial I agree actually speaking of other European countries I love 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 looking at places like France and Switzerland and um, even the Middle East right and looking at the Mediterranean area why do they eat croissants and pita bread and tapas right where it's like unlimited and you have an unlimited amount of food around you but yet you don't eat past fullness why are why do they act like that what is the underlying relationship with food and behaviors around food like that makes it so different from us but like you said it's because nothing is demonized the way that it is here right? A croissant in France isn't demonized. A pita in the Mediterranean isn't demonized. But a pita or a croissant here, it's like, oh my god, you're eating a bagel for breakfast? (laughs) That's carbs, that's fat, right? Exactly, yeah. I actually went to Lisbon in Portugal, I think the beginning of June. And 
you know everyone like with lisbon it's a very interesting case because it's everyone's really active like way more active than i would say the average person in the uk it's a lot of walking in that city my god it's very hilly very steep but the food atmosphere is also just so much more relaxed portugal is well known for having like all these lovely pastries and desserts and we are having our heavier dishes and our heavier desserts but at the same time we're not eating to the point of over indulgence or to the point where we're sick of the food that we're having and i think it's just testament of the type of food culture that they have in um more european countries i agree 100 yeah it really is very much the the outlook on food mm-hmm. and going on that western culture so i think we've had a few outdated ideas oh well actually i would say in the western world it's not necessarily a mainstream idea but you know a lot of people think that balance is outdated and there's always something that's demonized like i said before so whether that's butter or or whether that's fat or carbs or whatever i think right now it's carbs you know it's always the usual claims like you know if you cut this food out you will lose weight or recently it's been co-opting you know some wellnessy buzzwords um and that's a little tirade or rant there but in terms of balanced diet being argued to be outdated i don't think it is and it's argued to be not that great for health compared to cutting something out can you just you know, explain why that is not the case. You know, why is a balanced diet and a practical approach to nutrition actually beneficial to health? Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. So that we can continue making great episodes like this, please consider supporting us over on Ko-fi. Link is in the show notes. Okay, so some people will say it's not because... You have one school of thought that like the balance approach isn't healthy because processed foods are included, right? Mm. Processed oils, sugars, whatever, that's all included. So that 80-20 doesn't work because those are detrimental, right? And then you'll have the other half say it doesn't work because balance is a rule in and of itself, right? To be balanced means that you have to make yourself eat veggies sometimes, right? (laughs) You have to have maybe not rules, but guidelines, right? It doesn't give you full intuitive ability to do whatever you want. I view the balance approach and I think it's healthy because we're adults, right? And as an adult and as children too, there's always some structure in your life. There's structure with spending. There's structure with the way that we act and the way that we go about our days every day, the way in our in our routines, the way that we act when we're talking to people. We don't say whatever we want whenever we want. And if people are moving in that direction, they should catch themselves now because that's not nice. There's structure in every other element of our lives because we're human and we have to have that in order to thrive and to be decent in every aspect of our lives. So putting that into food as well isn't unhealthy, right? There's, it's not diety. There's nothing wrong with it. It just makes it so that we can accept that our bodies need certain things, right? There's no arguing that we need certain nutrients and vitamins and minerals and macronutrients. I would argue every single macronutrient in order to survive and to be intentional about throwing those into our diet, to have some structure into eating that, that's not unhealthy to me mentally. That's just life. The same way that it is just life that we can't spend every cent of our paycheck on the first day we get it. Like, no, sorry, we can't do that because um, we wouldn't really have a, a quality life if we did that, right? The same way that if you ate whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, 
you could, but your quality of life wouldn't really be probably what you want it to be. And I always say, if that is a quality of life you want, go for it. I don't care. What do I care if you spend every cent you have in your bank account or, you know, the moment that you get it or if you eat six donuts because you can and you want to? I actually don't care, but you probably do. You probably want a better quality of life that that happens. And in order to do that, you don't need to be restrictive, but you have to have some structure. In the same way, the opposite side of is sugar, processed oils, whatever, is all that stuff inherently healthy? No, I would argue that it's not inherently healthy. It's inherently not, right? If we looked at the science, we know that it's not. But why is it healthy to incorporate it into our diets sometimes? Well, first of all, convenience. Processed foods are going to have convenience. Yogurt is minimally processed, but it's processed to get to our doors, right? Cheese. I would say consider that a fine food to incorporate into our days every single day, but it has processing that goes behind it. So not all processed foods are going to be something that I'm like, oh my gosh, stay away from. But let's look at some ultra processed foods, Doritos, right? Uh, Oreos, all these foods that are chemically made to make you want to eat excessive amounts of them, right? They spent billions and billions of dollars in trial and error, everything to try to perfect their recipes with these crazy things that we would never eat outside of this world to make it so that we cannot just eat one. I mean, they've worked really hard on that, right? So it's important to acknowledge that, but also to say not eating it ever is just not adding to our mental health, right? Especially if it is accessible and it is environmentally there, like in my house, it is there, right? Because there are other people who bring it into the house. I can control whether or not I put it into my mouth, of course, but there's a psychology behind saying you can't have something, don't press the big red button and all you can't stop thinking about is pressing the big red button. So don't eat the ultra processed foods, the Doritos and the cookies and the cakes. But now all you can think about is eating it. So there is a benefit to saying this is on limits and I can have it if I want it. And then eating a portion that feels right to you so that we don't find ourselves giving in and caving in to this. Fine, I'll just do it now and never again. And then we eat so much of it because we're never going to have it again. And that process of once we start, it gets worse and worse, right? And that behavior can get worse and worse over time. So it's important to find a middle ground. And I would argue healthy to find a middle ground, a balanced approach, because it just takes the extreme out of both of those ends and finds, I mean, I would say only pros, no cons, right? Where both other sides have plenty of cons. They have pros too, but they have plenty of cons where this one is going to give you the pros of both. Yeah, I actually was going to um, bring up what you just mentioned there at the end, where I feel like we can place restrictions on ourselves. Obviously, it's not great um, in terms of our mental, social well-being, but also just adding the guidelines into our life. They don't have to become rules, of course, but something like, you know, adding more vegetables to your life. I think some of that can become more intuitive eventually as well, because you realize, actually, if I, you know, have a portion of vegetables or two portions of vegetables with my lunch this time around and you know, cut back on something else, I feel better, I feel more energized and I am glowing or I just, you know, I feel I have more energy. It eventually becomes more intuitive and it becomes more enjoyable to do. And it's something that you want to then lean towards, I think. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think that's part of like the the process of building healthy habits is when you associate a, a behavior with a positive reward, we start to build a new uh, habit loop where we that's now what we gravitate towards, right? So like, so if you're eating like a cookie, right, and that cookie brings you positive feel-good, releases some positive feel-good um, hormones in our brain and, and all that stuff and chemicals in our brain, then we start to associate a cookie with a positive reward, right? 
when you start to associate that cookie with maybe two hours later your stomach or an hour later your stomach hurting or maybe five cookies right because one cookie is typically you're going to feel fine but let's say you had five and that was all you had for lunch that it might be positive in the moment but if you gave it 30 minutes now it's negative and it's about reassociating that start of that habit loop with now and without a reward but a negative uh, response same thing with like eating adding vegetables to your lunch it might feel like there's no reward when you first start because you haven't created that habit loop and that brain association but this moment that you start to feel better it now becomes a positive loop and you're looking forward to that reward and that's a point that I think I've been trying to make to a couple of my friends as well because my friends unfortunately of course we're all young women and we were young girls once that went through school and these body image issues and we're still going through them and one of the things that I thought was quite you know I watch like Abby Sharp for example and one of the things that she brings up a lot is collecting data points and you know it's that whole thing of yeah one cookie is going to make you feel fine but if you have an entire packet of oreos you're probably gonna have a bad stomach ache after that and i think making that connection and making that intention and then afterwards being like wait actually this is how i feel about it next time i probably won't eat the entire packet of oreos because i know it's gonna give my stomach it's gonna make my stomach hurt and i think that's that's a really good way to go about it because you're being intentional but you're also being intuitive but then one criticism i've gotten from my friends about that is that it takes a lot of work to be, you know, quite self-aware and quite intentional with that. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I agree. I say it all the time. It's not, it's simple. The ideas are simple, right? The concept is simple. Of course, like, okay, yeah, five cookies didn't make me feel good. Like simple to understand that I then wouldn't eat five again, right? But it's not easy in practice because when you're in front of those five cookies, you're like, but I want it. I feel like especially when you're first changing your habits and you're first rewiring diet culture, it's a very difficult thing to understand that you can have those Oreos whenever you want them and you don't need to eat five and one does make you feel better and whatever. But that's why I always say that we're adults and we have to implement some structure. Last night I had an ice cream sandwich with like half a piece of cake. It was very intentional. I built this plate. That's what I wanted. Like that was great. By the time that it was over and I had finished my plate, Listen, I have a very high sugar tolerance. I can eat a lot of sugar, right? Of course I wanted more. I ate it in front of the TV. The show wasn't over yet. Like some people are good and like they don't want any more. Like I am one of those people that could literally eat the whole cake by myself. Not because I'm restricting, I'm not. Just because I have always had a sweet tooth. I mean, always. Like I could, even when I was young, I would forego dinner and eat a brownie instead or eat multiple. It's just a preference, right? And everybody has their preference. But I implemented some structure. Maybe in the moment, I would have felt fine, right? In the moment, I know myself, I would have been fine if I ate the cake again, like more cake, because I am fine. But I know the next morning, I have IBS. So that would definitely 100% not work well for me the next morning. That's the issue, right? It's not easy ever. Your friends are right. It's, well, it gets easier and easier as time goes on, let me say that. But it's not easy at the beginning to think about what's going to happen in 12 hours. And the response that it might have in 12 hours or the goal that you might have tomorrow to fit into your genes better, you know, or in three months or in six months to fit into your genes better. It's not easy to act on things that are so far away. It's easier to act on instant gratification. What will make me feel good right now? Not delayed gratification. But you need to ask yourself what you want more, right? Like, what do you want to do about that? Do you want to always act on instant gratification and impulse? Great, go for it. 
again, that's up to you. Or would you rather not and do what's best for you tomorrow like adults do? So that's something that I, I mean, I like to really be honest with people and say, yeah, it's, it's not always easy. It kind of sucks at the beginning right? <laughs> to think about that and to say like, okay, yeah, like this is my chance to practice having one or two because that's what feels better than having five. But in the moment, it's not that easy. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this from the other side as well. So I have one friend in particular, she has been wanting to lose weight for I feel like years now. And she's very calories in versus calories out, which yes, from a reductionist point of view, that is what makes you lose weight, like calories matter. But I feel like, you know, she's been doing it for years, it hasn't worked, unfortunately. And the next step would be you know being intentional with those food choices because yes technically you can eat whatever you want and if you're in a calorie deficit you will lose weight but you might not feel great if you're eating you know like your entire day is made of brownies it's not going to feel that great so I'm just kind of thinking from that perspective as well you know calorie counting seems like something that's so easy in the moment but for a lot of people it doesn't work and I don't want to say you know calorie counting is inherently disordered or it's bad or anything like that it's it's very individualized but I'm just thinking about from that perspective where calorie counting seems like the easy thing to do but it kind of backfires because we're not being intentional about it okay so let's use your friend as an example right so let's say I'm telling her like all right let's stop counting calories and let's start being just more intentional about our decisions let's add a fruit to breakfast and a veggie to lunch and dinner Okay. And when you have dessert, I just want it to be once that day and, and not three times that day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Let's try that. Right. She would say, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to count calories. I don't care about adding vegetables. I don't, you know, if that's going to take up 10 calories. I would rather not waste my calories on vegetables. Like I don't want to do that. Okay. Because why? Because she thinks calorie counting works. All right. Well, you've been trying it on and off for how many years now? In my opinion, it, it's not working for you. I agree with you that counting calories is not inherently disordered. I view it as a short-term tool to learn and understand. But if you've been trying on and off for years, it doesn't work for you. At least your mindset has not caught up to the action, right? Like something needs to change. And I would argue that it's a more balanced mindset and a more practical mindset because the action of counting calories I would say it's not disordered, but the mindset that comes with it very often is. Not always, but you need a smart coach next to your side to make sure that it doesn't become like that. Yeah, I think that's what it goes down to a lot. I think a lot of people do need someone to help them out or coach them out. And it's, you know, I'm going to just on an institutional level, that's really obviously hard to implement. And, you know, I did an episode about obesity just, I think, a week ago, and we were talking about this stuff where we provide that support and the role that uh, like healthcare professionals can take and it it's difficult because I think a lot of people do need someone by them to provide that support but it's not always available so I think that's again what leads to this action of calorie counting without the helpful mindset that can that can make it work for example I agree yeah and I mean, there's plenty of professionals out there that just, they aren't what you need. So a lot of people want to go through their insurance. And I've had a lot of clients come to me after trying to go through insurance. And they're like, you know, I had a dietitian. She just told me to count my calories. And, you know, they don't support you with the mental side of it very often because they never struggled with it. So they don't know it. Or, you know, what, what worked for them won't work for you. And people are only speaking on personal experience and they're not willing to adapt their own mindset to kind of understand what would work best for that individual specifically. So there are sometimes accessibility and it's just not the right, the right one. And when people get discouraged from trying one, they don't want to go waste their money to try another, right? But I think it's worth 
trying, it's like trying on a pair of shoes. You gotta, you gotta wear them. So try them on until you find a comfortable fit, right? Yeah, I think it does come back to, I don't want to, I've said this in every episode so far, but I don't want to dissuade anyone from going to a healthcare professional at all. It's just about finding the right person for you and someone who meets you where you're at as well. Yes, yeah. We went off topic a little bit there, but just to bring us back to the benefits of having a more practical approach. Do you think that a practical, balanced approach to nutrition is beneficial to the soul? And if so, why? Why is it beneficial for the soul? There are so many things, and I hope I'm answering this correctly, but there's so much in life to think about rather than food, guys, okay? Like the way that your body looks and what you eat at the end of the day is the smallest part of your massive life. It opens you up. Finding this balanced approach opens you up to think about so many other things to finally just like hit your goals or get close enough to it right your goal might not be your goal once you start this process it might change over time so hit a goal hit your goal get close enough to it that you don't have to think about your body anymore every day right like you can just throw on your jeans and your jeans are your jeans and you're not crying about how they don't fit all the time right they're just you've accepted that size as your size and you move on with your life we get to that point we get to the point where whether someone's serving pizza or they're serving salad, we're content and we know that it's not the end of the world. And whatever we're lacking at this meal, we can always make up for it the next one and we'll be okay. We trust ourselves to, and our habits and our behaviors to the point where we have so much more space to focus on things bigger than our food and our body. You know, it really does, you know, they call it food freedom, right? I don't think I understood why until... I realized like I am free from food and now I have space to be. Yeah, I don't think we realize how much space diet culture or diet culture thoughts or all this can take in our in in our minds. And then once we've kind of worked on that, it takes off a lot of that mental stress, I think. It does, yeah. I remember the first day that I was like the first time that I didn't think about food until dinner. Like it was like like not until dinner time I had had breakfast and lunch but like I had lunch and I didn't think about dinner until it was time for dinner and I remember like going to eat and I was like oh my god this is just because I'm hungry like not because I couldn't stop thinking about it not because I was counting down the hours and the minutes none of that it's just I got hungry I can't believe I was busy or like kept busy in my mind for all that time not thinking about food right and it, it's it's just so freeing isn't it? it it really is and then another aspect I wanted to pick up on is kind of incorporating balance and practicality as a woman of color now I'm British Bangladeshi and you know being a woman of color it comes with a lot of other factors that can kind of be in a mismatch with you know what may be mainstream advice or you know lifestyle tips or whatever it might be and that can you know make finding balance quite difficult so how are you striving for that balance as an American Palestinian or Arab American and do you have any tips that you can share sure yes so there was a long period of time just to preface this that I fully felt like the only things that I could eat were foods that I made not foods that my mom made so even if it was inherently balanced, right, like with veggies and protein and carbs, it wasn't like American health food. So we didn't think I could have it or I could have it, but I could not have the way that it's traditionally served with the rice or bread. It was a very long period of time where I did that. I also went through a very bad binge eating disorder phase of my life during that time that I was not eating the rice and the bread. 
balancing the two can be it can be difficult because you're trying to find moderate portions around your traditional foods and all these things but at the end of the day i want you to just and this is what i did think about what your ancestors did how they were fine listen i'm not saying they were the skinniest bodies on the earth all the time that's not what i'm saying i'm saying we have to find what healthy looks like for us right? And I think a lot of people think just because I'm pro weight loss, like if you want, that's your goal, you can have it. It means that my approach is meant to get you to your skinniest self. That's absolutely not what it's meant to do. It's meant to get you to your happy weight and easily maintainable, somewhat, you know, confident body, but one that you can maintain forever. So when we're looking at how do I balance this with that, with that, with that, with my mom's food, with the culture, this, think about your ancestors for just one hot second, okay? the way that they balance their plates and ate and ate and moved on. Think about that. That's the kicker. It's that they would eat and I'm not saying they were stuffed. They were probably just satisfied and they would go and they would move on with their day and they would focus on something bigger than themselves. And that's what we have to start doing. So when it comes to our traditional foods and our, and our really yummy social gatherings and like all these different things, it's not about what can I eat versus what can't I eat. It's how do I eat? in a way that makes me feel physically decent. I think we get so caught up on what we think has to be on our plate and what can absolutely not be on our plate that we always end up eating more than we need to out of shame and guilt, always. So just allow yourself to have it. And I know that's not that's easier said than done. I know that, but sometimes we have to allow ourselves to have the dish the way it's traditionally served with a tweak. Okay, so if I'm eating, we have this dish called mojilla in Palestine, and it's white rice served with this like jute stew, so it's like spinach, and sometimes they'll put chicken in it. My mom always puts chicken in it. The ratio of rice to the veggie stew is a lot of rice <laughs> to a little bit of veggie stew, okay? If you have a weight loss goal or goal of eating more vegetables, more protein in a slightly more balanced way, great. Let's just be a little, like, let's not not put the rice on the plate. Let's put a little bit less and a little bit more of the stew, right? You can take your cultural foods and your traditional foods and just moderate the portions or even add to it with extra veggies on the side or choose the dishes that make more sense to put on your weekly rotation. You know, I, we also have another dish that's rice with bread. That's the dish. That one, I would say maybe that's not on your weekly rotation, but that doesn't mean that you can't have it once a year. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I completely understand. I think it's, you know, I was just thinking about from a more, you know, advisory point of view, because it's, you know, a lot of the more recent advice that has come out with, um, you know, dietary guidelines in the UK particularly has been around, for example, you know, what does a healthy plate look like? And it's been like, you know, the half veggies, the quarter protein, and then whatever the rest is. And a lot of, I feel like people of colour can struggle with that because they're like, wait a second, but I'm eating like this stew or this curry or whatever it's a bowl. in a bowl yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm eating a bowl okay so how does that work and I think it comes back to um you know your plate doesn't have to be this perfectly pretty little diagram of half vegetables it's just you know rec it's just a tool right it's a tool all of my clients actually get that photo of the balanced plate half veggies quarter protein quarter carbs healthy fats mixed in every single client gets it every single client is taught to understand that that is just a guideline. It is a ratio idea. It's a visual. And the same thing can be mimicked in a bowl. It can be mimicked in a stew, right? It's just a, just view it as ratios. Okay, cool. I need to bump up my veggies in this meal. Clearly, if I'm looking at this plate, there are none. 
So I need to bump that up in my stew and my bowl and my curry and my all these crazy dishes that we have that are just, you know, everything's all in, in one wrapped up together. And I need to just bump that up. Or I need to understand that if that's true, if my rice, let's say I have a like a paella type dish, right? Where it's like the Spanish rice with like everything kind of mixed right into it. Everything's cooked together. Let's say you had that and you're not the one cooking it or preparing it. So you can't really choose to add more veggies. It's just one bowl. That's something that I would say either eat it as is and just manage your portion or if you're contributing to that meal in any way, you're the one maybe making it as well. We could always make like a side of roasted veggies or a side salad. We could always, you know, add a dollop of Greek yogurt to bump up that protein a little bit. We can play with things and make them your own. In the same way, there are no rules to say what you can't to eat. There's no rules to say that you can't have a donut. There's no rules to say that you can't add a side salad to a meal that doesn't traditionally have a side salad, right? You can totally do that. Yeah, and I like that because I think also just from, you know, a Bangladeshi point of view, that's kind of how we eat anyway. You know, it's only when we've come into the UK, I would say, meat and chicken has been a huge part of our curries. Whereas I'm from Silep, which is kind of in the north of the country and it's surrounded by a lot of rivers. So the diet is naturally in that region is naturally full of a lot of fish, a lot of kind of vegetables that people can grow themselves. And those are what's cooked into curries and whatever. And obviously, as we've moved away from Bangladesh, that's no longer such a big part of our diet. And I think, you know, I went to Bangladesh back in December, was it? And I saw obviously the way my family were eating. And I was like, hang on a second. They're eating, you know, this vegetable curry with this chicken, with this fish or whatever. They're eating it all together. And it's inherently balanced. They're not thinking about it. They're just doing it just very different to how we are here it is very different and it's you know we always think our cultural food is a problem it's this it's that it's the portions it's the rice it's the bread i respectfully disagree it is a hundred percent a lot of oil yeah the oil i truly think it's bringing it into a western setting where we're taught a different version of health and we then start demonizing our own foods and then we start overeating our own foods. And then we start also pairing that with a McDonald's and a sugary coffee drink, at least here in the States. That's what we do. And it starts to all add up on each other. It's nothing alone, but it's, it's I always say it's not what you eat. It's how and why you're eating. Yeah. And we're coming up to the end. So to end the episode, do you have any tips or pieces of advice of how we can incorporate that? practical balance to our diet and lifestyle with a grain of salt of course and and with knowing that there are some things for you and there's a time that it's serving you and there's a time that it's not there are people on instagram sharing really and tiktok really valuable tips if you're following the right account right so if you can't work with somebody for any reason you can learn a lot about a balanced plate balanced nutrition a healthy relationship with food through following the right accounts okay be comfortable unfollowing if it ever gets to be too much as well. And I would never say like, you know, always be very, there's a practical balance. Don't follow all of them and, you know, let it overwhelm you. Don't follow zero either. It might be helpful to have one reminder, right? Here and there or someone to teach you the same way we follow all sorts of educational accounts. To that, if you could work with somebody one-on-one, do it. It is so helpful and so valuable to get direct insight into your life. And it's so much better if it's not a generic program where you can't speak to somebody because you want to be able to talk out those nuances and talk out, you know, how a method works in your life or doesn't, right? Want someone that you can talk to, get feedback from, 
help you reframe your thoughts, your mindset. So if you can work with someone, you have the means, do it. If you can't use Instagram and TikTok as a valuable tool, but follow the right account. And if it's just you, one yeah. habit at a time. And I do want to add on to the um, if it doesn't fit into your life, other don't worry about it. One if somebody one says one. cut out I think first it's really and that doesn't fit into your life, the right person How objectively for someone who is you know they've got the right qualifications they've gone to so in the uk that will either be like nutrition wise that will either be a registered dietitian or it will be a registered nutritionist they've gone to university for nutrition and also making sure that they're right they're the right fit for you in terms of what your goals and values are i mean if you're someone who wants to get really shredded going to someone who's an intuitive eating dietitian is probably not going to work for you for example absolutely i completely agree yeah know yourself know what you need and get, you know, feel feel free to ask that person that you're considering working with everything and feel free to not work with them if they're not the right fit for you. Yeah, really use those discovery calls to your benefit. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the perfect place to end off. So thank you so much for your tips and your contributions to um, this episode. Your insights have been really, really valuable. Thank you so much for having me. I truly love these conversations. Yeah, I honestly, I watched, you know, some of your Instagram like videos and stuff. And I really love the approach that you have to nutrition and the balance that you have and the whole, you know, putting the life back into it, I think, is what I really enjoy. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Any resources that we've mentioned or any, um, I don't think we've mentioned any papers or anything, but if we have mentioned any resources, they'll be in the show notes. Lena's links will be in the show notes as always and her website. Until next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Go ahead and leave a review and rate us, hopefully, five stars on wherever you're listening from. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and head over to thegrowthmedium.com for more detailed information pieces. See you next week for another episode. Bye.